Our reading this morning is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, which you'll find on page 1063 of the Church Bibles. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, on page 1063. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is God's word. Thanks, Mark. Well, morning, everyone. Uh, My name's uh, Matt Fuller, which uh, most of you know, but uh, it's lovely to have some uh, old faces, old-timers back uh, visiting. That's a delight and uh, a joy to see and um, uh, you're very welcome if you're a visitor. Uh, This morning, um, my ambition was, in the midst of a sort of carol service season and uh, all-age talks, to, uh, uh, for for the Christian believer to give you something of a little more substance, but we'll see, um, because... Like many of you, I'm carrying a little cough and cold, and uh, I'll go as long as my voice holds out. And that could be 10 minutes, it could be an hour, who can tell? (laughs) It won't be an hour, I can tell you that. We'll see how we get on. Let me pray again as we look at this together. Father, here is, uh, in many ways, familiar, but wonderful, glorious truth. Father, would we hear it uh, perhaps again, more deeply? Would we hear it uh, in a manner which affects us and causes us to rejoice in wonder that you, the living God, came to earth in order to be made known? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John 1, I think the purpose of John 1 in many ways is or the primary purpose, it's, it's like a rich feast, you can't do everything in this, uh, these first 18 verses, but it's to invite you in. That, I think, is the purpose, primarily. It's to invite you in, invite you into John's gospel, but invite you in to God, 
invite you into that relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. We begin in chapter 1 with words expressing, and verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God the Father, that is, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John 1 invites you in. And have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt um, somewhat on the outside of a relationship and think, oh, I'd like to be in that? Uh, maybe think of Scrooge uh, at Christmas time, um, a familiar story. We have a little picture of um, one animated version that um, is meant to be quite good. And here is the point uh, fairly early on, the, 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 the ghost of Christmas present um, has taken Scrooge to see um, Bob Cratchit and his family, family, Tiny Tim, you know, impoverished. And uh, Scrooge looks from the outside and sees their poverty, his fault, of course, um, and yet their love and their happiness and their desire to give thanks, despite having very little. And Scrooge, even at this early stage in the novel, is on the outside looking and thinking, ooh, well, that, that's nice. I sort of, huh. Of course, by the end of the novel, he is indeed invited in, becomes a sort of godfather figure to, uh, to Tim. But perhaps more prosaically, have you ever uh, been on the um, outside of a friendship group looking in and thinking, they're the cool kids, I'd like to join them. I'd like to be on that gang, in that gang, and I can't quite get in. Or maybe there's well, the odd family you look at and think, well, their family seems delightful, much less complicated than mine. They like, don't argue, they don't fight, apparently. Uh, I'd like to join their family. Even just this year, I'd like to join. Well, John 1 is the invitation to join the family of God. It says, that is why at the first Christmas, the Word, God the Son, came into this world to be made known so you could join this family. Now, one of the obvious things about these first 18 verses is it's all about the, the word, and it is a little cryptic at first point. Um, we're maybe too familiar with it. It's only actually at verse 17 that this word is revealed as Jesus. It's just the word, the word, the word. It might be more helpful to translate it, in the beginning was the word, and it was with God, and it was with God in the beginning. I mean, he is personal. But verse 17 is this big, ta-da, it's a person, it's Jesus, and we know that, so we automatically insert he. But there's this sense of what is going on here, a mystery. Why the word? Well, the words, of course, reveal what we're like. That's their primary purpose. They, they reveal. Now, were I to, obvious point, but were I to stand up here this morning, and, and I'd never spoken a word to you, and, and you're a guest, there's a limit to what you would know you would think, I don't know, six-foot bloke, very impressive, <laughs> very handsome, probably witty and clever and erudite, and then I would open my mouth, and words would reveal, not so, um, pretty mediocre, incompetent, sometimes annoying. Uh, our words reveal what we're like, of course, and they achieve things, 
this has been an unusual year. Uh, uh, I mean, this has been like the heaviest, that sounds a negative thing, the busiest year of weddings I think we've had at this church in 20-odd years. So there's been plenty of times at the front of church you've had Billy Bunter and Susan Smiley saying to one another, I will take you as my husband. I will take you as my wife. Well, that does something. That's like for real. You've, you've, you've done it now. Um, the words have achieved something. And I think just so with this word, this word reveals, as we get to verse 18, is the clearest revelation of what God is like. And it achieves a wonderful amount. Here is the ultimate final word, excuse me, from God. Let me just look at it in three things. We can't look at the whole chapter, these whole 18 verses, it's too much. I'm just going to say three things, and they're remarkably unoriginal, okay? The Word is God, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. They're unbelievably unremarkable. But what they suggest, and what they tell us, is quite spectacular. First, the Word is God, and in that sense, He's the eternal Creator. So chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word There's a timelessness to that, always enduring, never beginning. Unlike, we'll get to creation in a moment, verse 3, creation happened. Before creation, there's the word, he predates. John doesn't go into the details about the birth of this one. Go and read Luke, go and read Matthew, you can get all that from them. No no shepherds, no magi, I'm taking you further back. If you were here last Sunday morning... Uh, classic way that children asked, you know, what, do you, what would you like for Christmas? All various dolls, etc., more swords. Uh, the highlight for me was a time machine. A time machine. I don't know how his parents have got on with that this week. But a time machine is what I'd like for Christmas. Well, I mean, if, they, if you can patent that, I think you'd be in good business. But if you did have a time machine, if you could climb into the TARDIS and go back to the creation, or before the creation, before there is anything... There is this one, the Word. And we're told he is the creator, verse 3. Through him all things were made. That expresses it positively. He's God's agent of creation. Everything. I mean, it's quick to say and simple to say, isn't it? But extraordinary truth. Every tree Fish, plant, cow, duck, dog, mountain, ocean, planet, star, everything. He made it all. And just so we're clear negatively, without him, nothing was made that has been made. Everything subsequent to this point of the original creation has been made by him, through him. And he still preserves it all. He sustains everything. He maintains the planet. He sustains the seas. He preserves the land. It's all his. Created and owns it all. And this one entered into his creation. Now, John 1 doesn't go into the details here. 
And we're meant to see these echoes of creation in the beginning, in the beginning, such as, 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 uh, as uh, Genesis chapter 1. But why? And I think in the flow of, of, of John chapter 1, what we're meant to see, it's not explicit, but this creation, it's the natural overflow of God, who is Father and Son and Spirit. And th- there is so much goodness and joy and contentment and happiness and, and love that it can't help but burst forth in, in creation. Not that God had to create this world. There was never any necessity to do it. He was not lacking anything in himself, but a little like a fountain that bursts forth because there's just so much good pressure. Not that God is coerced to do it, but there is so much goodness in him that he wants to share. There is so much love in this father-son spirit that they desire to give, they desire to welcome in to their joy. The word, this word, he's eternal creator, he's God. But secondly, alongside that, the word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God the Father in the beginning. And um, this is the first point, probably, where our brains start to get a little bit oodled, even if you're familiar with this truth. He was God, and He was with God, which means that. Um, He was Ben and he was with Ben. Well, that's all right. Lots of people have the name Ben. No, no, there's only one and he's with. And we think, oh, that's complicated. And of course, it's at this point that plenty would throw their arms in the air and uh, Muslim friends and Jewish friends would throw their arms in the air and say, what are you saying? That there are two gods. That's a blasphemy. That's a nonsense. No, no, there's, there's one God, but he is three. Well, that makes no sense. Many years ago, uh, back in university student days when I was in, lived in Birmingham, every Saturday lunchtime in the main central square, Victoria Square, there were these slightly curious public debates took place between Christians and Muslims, and anyone could have a go. Uh, and so uh, being, whatever, 20 years old and full of confidence and ignorance, I thought, I'll have a go. And um, I remember in, engaging in this, in this debate with these, these, these two guys and it was a classic sort of comment came up. So, you Christian, you, you say that God is three and God is one and that cannot be true and that is a paradox. What do you say? And this, oh, this is the most stupid argument ever. I said, well, um, you, as a Muslim, you believe that um, humans have free will and, and purpose and choice. Yes. And you believe that Allah is in charge of everything. He controls everything. Yes. That also is a paradox. I'm not scared of paradox. God is too big for us to understand everything. You have that in your, in your view. And one of the blokes paused. We have one paradox. You have two. Therefore, <laughs> my faith is better than your faith. Now, that is not very erudite debating. Okay, That's not, I'm not commending that. But the point is, there are just some things about God that we cannot get our head round, and we mustn't be scared about that. He's God. If you could understand everything, you'd be God. And I don't want that, and you don't want that. His incomprehensibility on one level 
is just part of what makes the fact that he's made himself known in a readily understandable man, Jesus, quite so amazing. He is amazing. And the nature of the Trinity is nothing to be embarrassed about. It's the only view of God which gives us hope. If, if God is not three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, then he just is. He's just raw power. There's nothing else to him but power. And that is frightening. But he's not. He's Father, Son, Spirit. So at the essence of God is love. At the essence of God is relationship that delights in sharing one another. He is at heart love and he wants us to join his family. So what does it mean that the word was with God? Well, verse 18 is most helpful here at explaining somewhat of that. We're told again, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father. He's made him known. The closest relationship with the Father. That's not bad as a translation. Other translations or older ones used to say, uh, who is at the Father's side. That's a very bland translation because you can be, at, you know, on the tube, you're, you're sat at the side of someone. You have no relationship with them. It's a very bland translation. This is better, I think, in the closest relationship. The only other time the verb gets used in John's Gospel is chapter 13, uh, uh, um, where John, the writer, the beloved disciple, as he's known in this gospel, is lying next to Jesus and leans on him to talk to him and have a sort of whispered conversation. Leaning on him. That's the sense of it. I guess if he went for a really literal translation of verse 18, it would say, the son who is in the father's breast or into the father's breast... But none of the translations use that language, because breasts, and we get a bit embarrassed, and we don't like that. But um, it suggests an intimacy. That'd be odd. No one lies on my breast but my wife. I mean, 12 years or more ago, my son might have done, but that, those days are long gone. Um, you know, I have some good friends. I love, a, I love a man hug. But no one lies on my breast, thank you. It's extraordinary intimacy, and that, that's the point of it here. This is how the Father and the Son lived in eternity. No child and mother, no husband and wife have that level of intimacy that could be described as in, into the breast of another. Again, it's what does that mean when they've, they've got no bodies? What does, I mean, it's, it's an emotional thing, of course. It's, it's what is being defined here, relational thing. Some people, let's be honest, some people, the more you know them, the less you like them. It's a small percentage of people, but there are those in life, the more, oh, no, I'll give the guy another chance. No, no, I've just, no, my first instinct will write, in fact, he's worse than, no, okay, we'll just steer clear. That's true of some people, but other people, the more you know them, the more you love them. And when someone knows you really well and your flaws and your faults and your moods and still always loves you, in that level of security is wonder. 
And here are the Father and the Son and the Spirit with perfect knowledge of one another, perfect agreement of will, perfect delight in one another. Never the, the slightest irritation, resentment, frustration, annoyance, never. They could not be more dynamic in their love. They are absolute passion. They are absolute joy for one another. And it shared amongst them. Well, let me try this. Uh, a, a while ago, I went to, um, uh, in Hoban, the Sir John Soames Museum. If you've never been, I mean, it's not a whole day outing. But it's, if you're in the neighborhood with an hour to kill, it's terrific. The, the, uh, the, the architect uh, responsible for famous buildings. It's sort of absolutely stuffed full of, you know, he's a hoarder. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and he's got so many paintings. All these paintings, oh, look, here's, here's a painting worth half a million. Oh, behind it, there's another one worth half a million. Oh, behind it, there's another one. He's, they've got so many paintings. It's absurd. It's literally, you, um, But the, one of the, the quirky features about the house is it's, it's small, like it's not, it's massive, it's central London. Um, but if you're super wealthy, it, he, you, he thought it was a small house. And so there are mirrors everywhere, like in a slightly freaky everywhere, to give this sense of light and space. <clears throat> and the day I went, all of a sudden, uh, uh, winter sun, l- low, um, low sun, the sun came out from behind a cloud and sort of hit a mirror and then, of course, you're in trouble. And you've got this sunlight bouncing around the room. And you're wandering around. It's all quite nice. And all of a sudden, everyone went, oh! Um, probably not the noise, but everyone sort of went, oh, you're polite. Um, ooh. Um, and uh, then the, sort of the guide in the room sort of tweaked something. And the, and the mirrors changed their angle. And all was well. It was fine. But that sunlight bouncing off a mirror, bouncing off a mirror, bouncing off a mirror, um, exaggerating, multiplying effect... That's God relationally, Father, Son, and Spirit. Love and love and love and love and love. And it bounces around and it becomes more and more intense and joy and contentment and happiness. That's who he is. And he says, join us. The word is God. The word was with God. And then lastly, in verse 14, the word became flesh. The reason is to make God known. Verse 14, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Not that God, not that God became a man. He remains a man. The miracle of Christmas is that God the son remaining eternally and never ceasing to be God the Son, united himself with frail human flesh while still remaining God. So if we could put it in these terms, uh, imagine a, um, a nuclear explosion becoming an elastic band and yet still, main, still retaining the power of a nuclear bomb. Imagine a raging ocean being reduced down to a glass of water and still yet retaining the power of a raging ocean. Or a a meteor flying through space that could destroy a planet being reduced to a tiny pea-like pebble and yet still retaining the power of a meteor. Imagine God the Son 
uniting himself with frail human flesh and being born, that extraordinary experience, being born as a frail child and yet still retaining the fullness of deity. That's what happened. It's not that God becomes a man. He remains God and adds humanity to himself. The never-changing eternal God adds weakness to himself in the form of human flesh. It's very hard to understand. Bruce Ware, who's a theologian, uh, this is a helpful illustration, I think. He says, imagine a king, like an all-powerful medieval king, like Arthur at the height of his powers where he controls everything and rules everything and is irresistible. Imagine a medieval king who decides, huh, I really want to understand what life is like for the poorest in my land. I want to truly understand it. And so even though I have at my disposal every knight and the most powerful soldiers in the country and uh, every doctor and the most knowledgeable physicians in the land and every chef and the, 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 the finest cuisine that you could have. I put aside all those things and I live as an impoverished peasant for decades of my life. And at any time while doing that, at any time, because I've never ceased to be the king, I could call the soldiers and I could call the doctors and I could call uh, uh, um, uh, the chefs, but I choose not to for I want to truly understand what life is like as a peasant. And there is, that's partially helpful as an illustration, (laughs) that the the eternal son never ceases to be God, but unites to himself weakness. He becomes one of us, not to understand, because he already understands, but in order to die for us, ultimately. Ultimately. But the extraordinary thing is, even as this word undergoes a human birth, he's still sustaining every single star in the sky. Even as the word becomes flesh in the man, Jesus, even as he's nursing at his mother's breast, he's still sustaining her heartbeat and the heartbeat of everyone on the planet, even as a frail, dependent child. And even as he goes and dies upon a cross, This word has become flesh in Jesus. Even at the point of his death, he's still sustaining the whole of creation. He still fills the whole of creation because deity cannot be limited. So while Jesus is fully God, don't think in terms of it's a bit like there's this human Jesus with a flip-top head and his head gets opened up and the fullness of God gets poured in and then the, the lid gets shut. And so all that God is is contained within Jesus. No. He is or he has the fullness of God and yet he still fills the universe at the same time. And there comes a point where we go, I don't understand. And yes, That is entirely appropriate as partial response, along with, golly, this is extraordinary, yes. This is too much for my little brain, yes. 
This is too amazing for me to understand. Yes. God is too wonderful for me. Oh, yes. How can he do this? He's God. But he did it so, verse 18, that God the Father is known. We can know God as Father. We can know Jesus as our brother. We can enter into their perfect family of unfailing love and share their joy. And you read on in John's Gospel, and you read extraordinary verses. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus can say, My people know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What? But you know one another in this extraordinary way. You've known one another throughout eternity. We can't. Jesus, I don't know you the way you know your Father. Oh, you do know me truly. There's more to learn. But you do know me truly. Or John 17, verse 20, Jesus says, I pray for those who will believe in me in the future, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And again, spatially, your head does all this scratching. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and we can be in them both, and we think oh, I can't draw that. And you think, no, you can't draw that. It's a picture of relational closeness. Amazing. When you become a Christian, you're brought into this family of perfect love. You become like one of the mirrors bouncing around their joy, contentment, delight. Of course, question, why don't we always feel that way? And why don't we always feel how wonderful it is to be in this family? Well, we're still sinful as Christians. We still don't delight in God rightly. But we will. We know Jesus truly. We know the Father truly, but not completely. We know them truly now. And when we meet them in glory, in the new creation, then we'll know this Absolute joy in the relationship with God. No frustrations, no resemblance with anyone. We're brought into the family. What are we meant to do with John 1, 1 to 18? I think the point, or what we're meant to do with it is wonder. Say to ourselves, I take for granted being in this family, and it's extraordinary. Maybe saying to ourselves, I don't understand what the bloke's talking about. But maybe there's something there which is quite appealing. Maybe I want to join this family. And then you turn the page and read more of John's Gospel. I think we're meant to read this and wonder. Give thanks that Jesus came so that God could be known. We could know him as father. And we could join this family and enjoy its delights. Then we lead us in prayer. Father, again, <clears throat> here are familiar words. Familiar words, that, but beneath them there is truth that is too much for us, too much for our little brains, too wonderful for our little hearts. Here is an exceptional delight that you came that first Christmas 
the all-powerful creator uniting himself with frail humanity in order to be known, in order to die so that we could live with you forever. Father, it is extraordinary. Help us once again, we ask this morning, that we would wonder at this truth. Amen.